And think about this. Most of the kids we serve were already behind their white counterparts as far as on time, on grade learning with third grade learning and eighth grade math. So there was already that gap that no child left behind and uh, every student succeed acts is trying to close. But there was a report that came out here in Atlanta that said only three out of 10 black kids will be proficient in reading and math after COVID. That's 30 percent. We're talking about whole generations lost. Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner, and it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life. Because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you're a fan of the show, make sure you leave a review, rate the show, and share it on social media. It does a, a great deal to help us build our audience. And by the way, if you like some of the guests that you've heard and you have some ideas on others that might be a great fit, please email me directly at rob at robeigner.com. That's R-O-B at R-O-B-A-I-G-N-E-R.com and uh, send me some guest ideas. All right, thanks so much for listening. Hello, Clear Choices listeners. Rob Eigner here with another episode of Clear Choices. I'm sitting today with Frank Brown, who's the Chief Executive Officer of Communities and Schools for the Atlanta School District. The organization's mission is to surround students with a community of support, empowering them to stay in school and achieve in life. This organization is part of the nation's largest and most effective organization dedicated to keeping kids in school and helping them succeed in life. Frank, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. Pleasure to be here. Um, you know, my wife is an educator. My parents immigrated to this country for a lot of reasons, but one of them surely was to make sure their kids had a great education and, and opportunity. So when I hear your mission statement, I guess the first question is, how do you do that? Well, it, it isn't me. I, I, I tell people all the time that the most important asset in our organization's repertoire is the site coordinator that we place in all of the schools that we serve. That person is the, the indispensable tip of the spear. Uh, they're the ambassador every day of the brand. And I tell my team in the field, every day you either are polishing or tarnishing our brand. And we, uh, CIS of Atlanta is a very special organization. It actually started this entire network. Uh, it started here with CIS of Atlanta and now has spread to 26 states, including the District of Columbia. And we have actually two CIS affiliates in LA. Uh, so it, it, what started here in Atlanta has reached the shores of the Pacific Coast, uh, but it started with us. So I tell my, my team every day, we can't be like any other affiliate. We must be the most impactful. Uh, we must be the innovators of this model. And, and we wake up every day wanting this to be the most impactful nonprofit in the world. And when I say that, I'm not being cliche. Atlanta was deemed the income inequality capital prior to COVID two years in a row by Bloomberg Business Week, which means that we're dealing with the poorest of the poor. 
I would argue Atlanta is the microcosm for every ill that's going on in America. We could start with cybersecurity. Uh, Colonial is based here in Atlanta. We could talk with police race relations uh, where Rashad Brooks was shot down on his back right here in Atlanta in in a parking lot that caused riots for days. We could talk about voter suppression and we can come right here to Atlanta with the recent bill that just passed and now is sweeping across the country, these uh, Republican bills curtailing voting uh, rights. Uh, the list go income inequality. We're number one in the country. So I tell my team, if we get it right here in Atlanta, it's a blueprint for the rest of the country, the world, on how to deal with some of the poorest people in, in this country and, and get them to become full participants in the American dream. And when I say that, I want them to be homeowners taxpayers, voters, assets to their community, not liabilities. Uh, We have 107 kids. When we started in 72, getting poor black and brown kids out of high school was enough because you could get a job in that economy and go into a factory, work for 30 years, get a pay. That's not the economy we live in now. Two thirds of the jobs in today's economy requires some post high school certification. So the innovation that me and my team have really introduced to the nation and has been embraced by our national president, Ray Saldana, and the national offices, that we must now support kids that go all the way to college, to technical school, the military, or if they have an entrepreneurial skill, help them get it out to the world to see. Uh, We have 107 kids on our caseload in college. The starting nose tackle for the University of Georgia, Devontae Wyatt, is one of our babies. The, the starting cornerback for Ohio, uh, Oklahoma State, Christian Holmes, is our baby. Um, Clemson, Alabama, you name it, we got him there. And, 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 and those kids are closer to the American dream than any kids in our, in our queue. We have about 2,500 kids that we have on caseload. They're the poorest of the poor, the most at risk. Across 57 schools, we actually serve four school districts here in the metro area, We're in Atlanta Public Schools, Clayton County uh, School District, uh, DeKalb School District, and Fulton County School District. So we have really taken on to really extend this work from third grade to college graduations. And I think that's what makes what me and my colleagues do here in Atlanta so unique. So to answer your question, it's the site coordinator, but it's also the board. It's also the brand. It's also the national footprint. Uh, that makes us probably a, a very unique entity. Uh, and and we, we believe that we're making impact here like nobody else can imagine. So, so, so walk us through so we can kind of get a visual, if you will. I'm a third grader in Atlanta. I come from a poor family, you know, uh, don't know where dad is. Right. Mom's on uh, financial support from the government. I'm just making this all up, right? Uh, now, what happens? Well, you got, what happens to me? Well, the first thing is we would talk to a superintendent who would give us a list of schools. Most of the schools we serve are Title I. And if you know, Title I schools are, are schools that are inundated with poverty. Most of the kids uh, uh, qualify for free and reduced lunch. So we start at the superintendent level. And we get our marching orders from the superintendent. Then we go to each school. Uh, our model is evidence-based. So we, we have a, an our strategic plan, a goal that over 95% of the kids in our caseload will do one of two things graduate high school on time, or earn promotion to the next grade. Last year, that number was 97%. So we go to each school and set up site plans for the schools. 
One school might have a gang problem. Another school might have a, a teenage pregnancy problem. Another school might have an um, opioid drug problem. You see what I'm saying? So we do, you, do you have experts on each of those subjects that are part of your organization? Well, our model really is a, is, is a three-tier model. That's why I just want to let you know how it is. So we got to get a site plan to get an understanding of what the ills of the school is. After that, the school gives us 40 to 50 kids in each of those schools who are most at risk of dropping out. That would be the third grade that you described. That means Johnny's test scores show he's not advancing. That means his attendance is really off the rack. He's not coming to school uh, and he's in, and, and he's not reading on a, a third grade level. Uh, we get Johnny. And when Johnny gets on our caseload, we give out emergency financial assistance. What happened here in Atlanta was it was already a housing crisis. Atlanta, like many big cities, is being gentrified at a race that nobody can imagine. And a lot of historically poor Black neighborhoods have been gentrified to the point where people are being pushed out of Atlanta because they can't afford it anymore. So for us, um, we see this on the ground. So we gave out $600,000 over COVID from March 1st to March 1st, 20 to 21. For what purpose? For emergency assistance. We got a great grant from BET uh, for COVID relief, and we got a half a million dollar grant. We gave out over $600,000 to 2,500 families. So they help them pay rent, pay for yes, food, that kind of thing. 71% of that money went to housing. So think about this. We're talking about virtual learning. My kids didn't have a home. They didn't have internet. They didn't have a computer. Uh, no, they didn't, have, they didn't a have a bed. Some of them are sleeping under bridges. The little job mom had at the airport got lost in the, in the crisis of COVID. And think about this. 78% of black and brown kids were eight and five times more likely were, were infected by COVID one, but they were eight and five times more likely to have to be hospitalized. Mm. So you add the economic, the health, and a housing crisis that was already ballooning here in Atlanta. That's the reason why our mayor, I would argue, is not running for re-election. Uh, she had a housing issue that was not moving, and then she had a crime issue that was spiking to the point where people were saying it was bigger than just COVID. It was her. So we get those kids, we do emergency financial assistance, we do home visits. Think about that. We were already doing home visits with the most vulnerable kids before the crisis. So that made our emergency assistance more ripe to be successful because the, the parents already had a trust and relationship with us. So, so you, you guys are doing home visits, whereas yes. maybe the government agencies that you would imagine would be doing those they home visits. The they don't have the bandwidth. Exactly. Two to three million kids did not even show up this year for school. How many? Two to three million is statistics that we, we're hearing in our national office. Nation, national on a national level. Nationally never showed up. Wow. Those are the kids we're serving. And think about this. Most of the kids we serve were already behind their white counterparts. As far as on time, on grade learning with third grade learning and eighth grade math. So there was already that gap that no child left behind and uh, every student succeed acts is trying to close. But there was a report that came out here in Atlanta that said only three out of 10 black kids will be proficient in reading and math after COVID. That's 30 percent. We're talking about whole generations lost. Yeah. And you see this and it and it corresponds with the crime uptick. If I don't have a job, if my mom or my grandmother, my caretakers died because of COVID, it looks bleak. And so 
what my site coordinators do is is the work of the Lord. Uh, Twelve months a year, seven days a week. We're we're in the in the, the the toughest neighborhoods in this metro area, doing God's work, getting kids to college. So it's not bleak. I don't want people to. Sometimes people look at poverty and look at the people we serve as inanimate objects, like kind of like, no, they're human beings. They have dreams and aspirations just like you and I, and they and and they they want to make clear choices, but there's systematic racism and all type of barriers that they've been under for years. Give me a sense, and thank you for saying that. that's that's very powerful what you just said. Uh, you know, not to make these people a statistic, but I I I'm a numbers guy, so give me a statistic that you're most proud of that shows the progress and impact you guys have had. I mean, 97% of the kids on the caseload, the kids who were most at risk by their empirical data, either graduated high school or earned promotion last year. Uh, The statistic I'm very proud of, of giving out $600,000, of which 60,000 went to help kids stay in college. Uh, Think about that. We got 107 kids all over the country who couldn't even afford a ticket back home when school closed down in the spring. Um, so we had to send buses to as far as west as Mississippi to pick some of our babies up. And, and I think that's I think that's what is the special sauce is that these people sacrifice their own personal good to help these children uh, get them to the other side. And, 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 and I think that the, the, the thanks is when you see a child walk across the stage and, you know, they would. But for us, they would have never done it. I think for me, those are the small wins every day that give me hope that this brand that has been around for 50 years is here to stay. Have you ever thought about hosting your own podcast? This episode of Clear Choices is brought to you in partnership with Libsyn, powerful podcast hosting, the podcast hosting distribution and monetization platform since 2004. Use promo code CHOICES and you can get over one month of free services. Go to Lipson.com, promo code CHOICES. Well, uh, Frank, first of all, I I, uh, I resonate very deeply with what you're saying. Um, just as a quick segue, I'm part of a, a charitable organization here in Los Angeles that uses sport, uh, specifically soccer in this case, as a vehicle for getting at-risk youth to stay engaged in school, et cetera, et cetera. So it's 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 not as broad as yours and not as well-funded as yours, but it's kind of got the same aim of getting kids to college and all yeah. that. Kids who generationally haven't been to college. So everything you're saying, I, I really connect with because I'm involved in something similar. Yeah. I want to pivot really quickly. I want to get your perspective on the on education from a more global perspective. Like we understand the importance and the impact of what you're doing and what your organization does. And we've all heard about income, you know, disparity and the racial, uh, the racial challenges that are going on right now. And and clearly you're right in the heart of that, uh, trying to impact that in a positive way. When you look at our educational system nationally, are there states or even countries around the world that you look at and admire and wish that we could be there? I mean, look at look at the Asian comp- countries. For us, uh, Georgia Tech is. I have a bone to pick with Georgia Tech. <laughs> I did a speech with Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech has some of the most accomplished math and science and engineering professors professors in the world. Yet and still, Atlanta Public Schools has some of the worst math and science rates for kids of color. And they're five miles away from Georgia Tech. 
And I said to the people at Georgia Tech, I feel like y'all are more interested in going to India than you are to going to Atlanta Public School and getting a kid who's from Atlanta, who parents pay tax dollars for Georgia Tech. It's a state school. And Georgia Tech does not look like the, the, the city it lives in. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that just explains to you, Georgia Tech is as far as Pluto for some of my kids. And it's right down the street. And I think I, I, th- I think what you're saying is so important because I think that's probably true in education. It's true in business. I know it's true in sport because, again, I just told you soccer is a big kind of part of my world. And right. it's like I look at our college system and there's a huge percentage of the college soccer players that are from Europe. It's right. like, well, well, who are we who are we right. trying to help here? And it's a state school. I mean, for me, Georgia Tech, I, I can't have a beef with Emory. It's a private school. But I do have a beef with Georgia Tech that they're not helping APS figure out this math crisis amongst kids of color. I do have a, a problem when I see them uh, more interested in recruiting kids from the Asian comp- countries like uh, Southeast Asia, India, uh, Japan and China. Because that'll help their Iran. scores and help their stature, help their exactly. fundraising. I get exactly. it. Exactly. And yeah. so for me, that's that that's that's unfair. And I want to have a pipeline of kids that go to Georgia Tech who don't play football because it seems like that's the only way. I, my, my, my young man that we support at Georgia, only 7% of the population of kids at the University of Georgia are black. How, guess how many of those are athletes? All of them, 6%. I mean, six out of the seven percent. Exactly. And that tells me something. The only way you could get into these publicly supported big time schools is if you could play a sport. That's why we're making sure the kids we're supporting get their degree. That's already a form of racism, right? It's like, oh, the 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 black dude's only getting in here if he's playing linebacker. Exactly. And so we have a young man, Justin Ngobe, down at, at Alabama. He's a junior. He's all SEC, all academic, and he starts for Nick Saban. So that, go. and he comes back and volunteers at Forest Park High School. Last week he was giving out snacks. But when, when you, when you, you know, you mentioned earlier, like that you admire the Asian countries in terms of their the rigor. I mean, they go to school year round. I so, think so. Have, so that's part of it. We have to expand, and I think you're going to see that this summer. A lot of school districts are having a robust, almost in school, not a summer, regular summer school, but real school. I think we have to expand the amount of time kids are in school and the duration of the calendar. I think we're the only G7 nation that gives three months off for kids to be off. And that's a money, it's got to be a money thing, right? It could be that, but it's also summer slides. So kids are naturally have these academic slides during that time. And for poor black and brown kids, it's even are, worse. It's even worse because they're not reading books during the summer. They're not going to 4-H camp. They're, you know what I'm saying? They're out in the streets playing around, doing things that might not be productive if they're not tied to a program like us or what you're doing out in L.A. So for us, it's about getting the impossible done. And an example of that, I want to give you an example of, of my number one story during my six years here at CIS. It's this kid named Kamari Avery. Kamari came to us from APS. He's a 6'8", 270-pound tight end. Uh, got a scholarship to Louisville when uh, when Petrino was up there. I think that, that the, the, the coach who just got fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kamari made a horrible error up there. He was great academically, stud on the football field, was immature as far as socially, and made some mistakes up there and got locked up and got put out of Louisville. Mm-hmm. 
Most organizations would have walked away from Kamari. We didn't. We knew that having a young African-American kid locked up in the county jail in Louisville, accused of pulling out a pellet gun on a white student, white female student, was not a good situation. We raised privately funds to get him out. And I'm proud to let you know, Rob, that as of Mother's Day, Kamari walked across the stage from Bethune-Cookman College down in Florida and graduated with a BA in business administration. And now he's enrolled at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, to finish his football career. That's what I'm talking about. And that's the impact we're having that will take kids who would be thrown away under normal circumstances and get them across the finish line. And we got about seven to eight kids who will be multimillionaires in the next two years. And I'm already building my philanthropies of the future for this organization because they benefited directly from our help and our assistance. When you have a story like that, that you just told us, Mm -hmm. um, what's the impact when a a guy like that comes back and speaks to your students or does a video for your students, what's the impact? What do you see the youngsters, how are they reacting, how they're relating to the trajectory that someone like Kamari went through? I think it's for the other kids who are at Alabama, it was a wake up call to them of don't blow your opportunities. Mm. So he was actually used as an example to the other kids who are getting these opportunities at these big universities of your, that's a job and you're not an ordinary person when you go there and you don't have ordinary eyes on you. Everybody's looking at you. And I think that he has more credibility because not only did he fall down, but the credibility of getting up and finishing the race. I think that's what the story is all about. And that's what CIS is all about. Kids who most people would give up on. We get them to do things that they would no, normally would not be able to do on their own. What about the parents? Like, what are you doing to help help with the parents so that they can lead their children to making these better choices? Well, that's why we, from everything from the emergency assistance to connection to social services that are greater than ours, whether it's Atlanta Housing Authority and housing opportunities for vouchers, whether it's the United Way, who we partner with, who has so many resources that help families in crisis that we can avail them to. Uh, governmental entities, block grants, um, you know, COVID funding has been really flowing through. So we've used everything that's come through the door. I think the American Rescue Act that just came through has some, uh, about a billion dollars coming in school districts to be able to get kids and, and spend on services like CIS to get kids reintegrated and, and back in the schools. So we have a lot of work to do. Uh, this country is under under attack. Cyber, look at the cyber attack. You look at COVID. And you look at the impacts on and, and the racial injustice, the racial reckoning. Uh, you know, we're dealing here in Atlanta where our kids are seeing this every day. I have two young black boys who I have to explain what is going on. Uh, is it fair? You mean your own children? My own children. I have to have these conversations. Will they get a fair shake despite playing by the rules? Uh, will they be treated like the soldier in Virginia uh, who did who, who who followed instructions and still was was treated in a way. So, but, but I'm hopeful in America. I really am. I'm hopeful that people like the site coordinators that work every day across this country are, are making stories happen that wouldn't happen or keeping people in homes and feeding families and getting a child a laptop or turning on a Wi-Fi. or for us, we're paying for funerals. Uh, we just paid for a funeral of a young man. Even when in the midst of crisis, we have a gun violence it's going unabated here in our communities. We 
lost a young man at a graduation ceremony party. He was murdered in his, so we paid that funeral. Mm. So we absorb a lot. And, and that's why I tell people the most important asset is our psych coordinators. That's why we gave them with our PPP money, we gave our psych coordinators a bonus of 250,000 collectively that averaged about four to 6,000 because I couldn't ask them to turn on somebody's lights and their lights was being turned off. Right. Sure. And ask me, I can't say, Hey, go put food on Sally and Johnny's table. And I don't have none in my refrigerator. We gave our staff 50,000 in emergency assistance because you can't go out and help others if you ain't take care of home. Yeah. And it, so it's out, it's out like what I'm hearing is not that, uh, education on a higher level of of these families and and these kids isn't important, but like we got to get the Maslow hierarchy and needs taken care of. We got to get them housing and lights and internet before we can worry about their mindset and choices. It's like we got to just get them stabilized. I, I tell people, I said in Atlanta, depending on what zip code you're born in, you have a four percent chance of giving getting out of poor zip code in Atlanta. It's statistically proven. Four percent. Go to Vegas with four percent chances. You'll never win. You'll never go out there with those odds. But that's the child that I work with every day. And I believe that that four percent is better than zero percent. And we take that four percent and we make it do what it do. And we get Kamari's. We get Devontae Wise. We get Ariana Hollister, who's now working at Accenture Federal in Virginia. And she's being mentored by my Leadership Atlanta classmate, who's the CEO of Accenture North America. Jimmy Etheridge. We're making, we have Roar Capital, who just came and invested almost hundreds of thousands of dollars in our work in Atlanta public schools. Uh, uh, and they're a big private equity firm that just bought Dunkin' Donuts and they own Arby's and Sonic. They came looking for us. Uh, we have Mercedes Benz USA just joined our board and they're opening up their social media app apparatus to make sure our message is clear and concise and get to the masses in a way that, that, you know, that no other organization could do. Um, so that's why I'm confident we're going to be the most impactful in the world, not just to be braggadocious, but we're sending kids all over the world and they're going to be leaders and value adds wherever they go. And, and, and I'm just proud of the work that that we do in the, in the shadows because we've been in these neighborhoods. So it didn't take COVID for us to arrive. We were there. And that's the advantage that my network has over any other organization across the country. We were in these communities in the first place serving yeah. and already had relationships. So we are the Red Cross of wraparound supports. We're the Red Cross for school districts. I can go pay for a funeral quicker than a superintendent would. I can go turn on lights quicker than a school counselor would. And that's what we're doing for thousands of kids and families to keep them stabilized so they can participate in virtual learning. Rob, uh -huh. I'm trying to even the pain feel so they can sit at a table and virtually learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, you know, you've you've mentioned a, a, a many obvious threats that are you know clear and and present issues that you know your organization is helping to overcome. What are some of the other threats that you see? Like, is it private school? Is it technology challenges? Like, what are what are other challenges educationally that 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 concern you? I, I think the things that concern me is funding. Uh, there's a lot of federal funding rolling around these wraparound supports now for the short term, maybe five or six years out. But these problems, for the first time in the country's history, a majority of the kids in the public schools across America, over 51 percent qualify for free and reduced lunch. That means that the majority of the kids are a, a low income. 
And America has to deal with that. It's not the way we fund public schools is based off of property taxes. So if you're in a poor inner city neighborhood, your schools will suck. That's just being, uh, if you're in Cobb County in a $500,000 average home, uh, uh, your schools will be better. And you don't have to, let me just say this, in Atlanta, in Atlanta public schools, the median income for black families today is $23,000. The median income for white families in the same school district is $167,000. In Atlanta, with Martin Luther King, has black leadership for the last 40 years and black people are worse off here than they are in any other part of the country, despite Hank Aaron, despite all the greats, Maynard Jackson. Uh, and that's the thing that keeps me up. And now how could that be in Atlanta? How could it be in Atlanta? And what's your answer? How can it be? Because I believe that, 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 that everybody didn't benefit from all the breakthroughs. Uh, you know, a lot of families and na- well-known families got the benefits, but the everyday Atlanta life never changed. How do you, how do you balance? This might be a controversial question or whatever, mm-hmm. but how do you balance out when you, when you talk about those kind of statistics or outcomes Right. How much of it is like racism that's holding people down on one level versus habits that have been formed uh, uh, by a group of people to kind of ex- accept or continue to to do the sort of uh, activities that keep them where they are, like accepting where they are or, or not really? not trying to break through in some way. I don't know. I'm I don't know if I'm asking that right, but I think you know what I, I'm getting. At. I, I think I get what you're saying. I, I went through this great program in Atlanta. It's a very prestigious leadership. It's called Leadership Atlanta. And it's, you know, leaders from nonprofit, for-profit. And it's like 3,000 people apply for 80 seats a year. So it's very prestigious to get in. And I learned in Leadership Atlanta that in the history of how the political dynamics, there's a thing called the Atlanta way. And <laughs> it was agreement that, that, that Black people would run City Hall and the white corporate world would run you know, the business part of it. And that was kind of the Atlanta agreement that, you know, but that left a lot of people out. The politicians and the political class and all of the people around them benefited with the contracts at the airport. And But the everyday, that's why the everyday Atlanta is in the worst condition than probably ever before because they weren't connected to Maynard Jackson. So they didn't get the contract at the airport. Or you get to say they weren't connected to that politician who, knew the the rich, wealthy real estate guy who gave them the connection to get their first million. So the masses didn't benefit from the political largesse that was given out by politicians, to be honest with you. Uh, Atlanta had a lot of issues around our airport and corruption. I think you saw there was one of the biggest federal investigations of our last administration. Uh, That mayor is talking about running again. (laughs) So that gives you a sense of the Atlanta way. And so for me, I don't get, I worked on Capitol Hill for Arlen Specter for seven years. Uh, the most in, impactful thing that happened to me probably in my professional life, as far as getting a chance to work with somebody in Washington, who's a real player. And, and, and he used to say to me, son, nothing will get done in this town unless Republicans and Democrats cross party lines. And well, now we're further from that than ever. And, and that's why there's no moderates. And that's why nothing's getting, getting done because you got in order to get something big done, everybody got to give up something. And in this political environment, nobody wants to give up anything. They rather lose. And your and your state, unfortunately, is delivering some of 
some of the some of the most extreme of that example. It, 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 it's just and look at it now. We got corporations like Coca Cola and Delta bearing the brunt for speaking out. So even if you know, so that's why Atlanta is so interesting because it's really a microcosm of America. Um, and that's why I'm so excited to be working in this laboratory because it's right that the affiliate that started this should be the one who figures out how we fix it for today. And how we fix it for today is to make sure we take black and black and brown kids all the way to a college graduation, to a technical school graduation. If they want to go in the military, make sure they get through Paris Island or wherever the hell they're going. Or if they want to get a business and they got can do hair or cut hair or can sing or, or have a God-given talent, make sure it gets out to the world. And I think that that those are the four pathways that we can ensure that they become full participants in this American dream. I uh, love that. Uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a coach uh, in the business world, and I uh, I'm I'm a goal oriented guy. So I'll ask you a question: Where where are you now, and where would you like to be as it relates to your work? You know, five years from now, what would be an outcome or a trajectory that makes you go? We are on the way. We are succeeding. We have a caseload of at least a thousand kids in college we're supporting in the next five years. And right now you said it was what, a hundred something, right? Yeah. So so ten tenfold increase of college educated kids in your program in Atlanta. That's right. Yes, that we are paying their tuition if need be, that we're providing and we're that stopgap that does whatever it takes to make sure that they're not gonna not graduate because they didn't have the money or they didn't have that support. And that's where the change will happen. I went to Johnson C. Smith and I'm a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. And, and um, they they had a saying, it started in Cornell in 1906, seven black men were at Cornell University. And the model was very simple, go to high school, go to college. And that model is really true to me today more than ever. Uh, a college degree guarantees you make a million dollars more over your lifetime than a high school diploma. And, and more importantly, we know here in Georgia, the majority of the people in the state penitentiary system have one thing in common, they're high school dropouts. So for me, I'm fighting um, for our future. I'm fighting for the heart and soul of, of our future of, of black and brown kids in America. I don't want us to be second class citizens. I don't want my children to grow up thinking nothing's possible. Mm-hmm. Their race will ultimately hold them back. And, and I don't believe America, America lost $16 trillion over the years because of racism, a study shows $16 trillion in economic output was lost. And look at how it's tearing this country apart. And, and, and look at how other countries are moving ahead. China has advanced so far as far as their infrastructure, as far as their edge, their universities, as far as their STEM capabilities. And we're still lagging behind living off of yesterday. Very much so. I I agree 100 percent. And we have politicians who are more concerned about the primary than they are America. And and so we don't have time to wait on government. No. Harriet Tubman didn't wait on government. Thurgood Marshall didn't wait on government. And the and the and the people who, who inspire me didn't wait. They made change happen. If Harriet Tubman had to wait on the union, she would have never gotten 300 or 400 black people to freedom. You know, you're, you're doing such important work. And I think uh, anyone listening today uh, will want to know how they can help. So how can people help? Uh, you can go to CISAtlanta.org. Uh, you, can, you can donate. Uh, we have a, a great website. You can go and see what we're doing. Check out our film. We have an f- award-winning short film called Beating the Odds. 
It won the best uh, short documentary at the 2019 International Black Film Festival in Nashville. Um, and, and, and you can really see what we're doing. Follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn. Um, we're on uh, Facebook, IG, YouTube, uh, Vimeo. Just support us. And, and more importantly, there's a CIS affiliate. If you see an affiliate in your, your city, there are two there in LA. Support those affiliates because those sisters affiliates are doing great work too. Uh, but, but I believe that we're going to be the most impactful nonprofit in the world. And I'll be happy to come back and report to you the next five years that I meet my goal. I might even get you back here sooner. You're a, you're a great guest. And I'm going to, I'm going to end on a quote, just get your reaction to this. Uh, And uh, I really appreciate your time being here today. And the quote is education is for improving the lives of others and for leaving your community and world better than you found it. Does that kind of sum up your organization? That's it. Uh, You know, I I agree with that. It's the great equalizer. I know for me personally, I wouldn't be sitting here with you, but for that, that scholarship I got to that Catholic school at Bishop England High School in Charleston that changed my life and made college the expectation, not a a, a dream uh, or something I, you know, wasn't exposed to or, or expected to achieve. Well, Frank, I, I, um, I admire what you're doing and I appreciate the dream that you're helping others be able to fulfill. And, uh, and, uh, the, you know, the, the, the choices you're making are, are clearly impacting the options and choices a lot of other people are going to have. So I'm, uh, I'm expecting you're going to have a thousand kids in college way sooner than five years. I appreciate that. I mean, we, you know, we, 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 we reach about 32,000 kids every day in the metro area and, and 2,500 of those third grade to 12th graders are equally important as the 107 college kids. And, and I just want to say thank you for giving me a platform to talk about the special people our psych coordinators. I want to thank my board. You can't do this work without a great board. Our board chair, Eric Barnum, and vice chair, Chris Christie, really are buying into what I'm doing. We have a strategic plan that I'm excited about that talks about how we support kids in college. Also, uh, for the first time in my company's history, 10% of our caseload is Hispanic, Latinx. Uh, we just rolled out a very substantial Latinx on this program. Think about this. My African-American kids might have a problem getting home because of gang violence. My Latinx kids might go home and nobody's there because of an ICE raid. Think about that. Two different barriers, equally devastating to their ability to, to navigate. So we just did a big uh, thing. on. We have a lot of undocumented kids. Uh, the DREAM Act. All these things that nobody's moving on. They're real lives hanging in the balance. Whether you see it on the border Every day you see children walking thousands and hundreds of miles to, to get to freedom. Mm-hmm. And we have we have kids of color right here in America, here in Atlanta, living in third world conditions. They might as well go to India because they're their condition here. And, and that's just unacceptable to me and my colleagues. And we're working every day to even the playing field so they'll get a chance at the American dream. And they will. Frank, appreciate you being here today. Powerful Thank words. You, I appreciate you. This is another episode of Clear Choices. If you want to learn more about Frank's mission and organization, uh, take a look at the show notes. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. 
I'm available for speaking engagements, and you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. And all this can be found in our show notes. Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.